Uh, praise the Lord. Here we are. We're uh, about to go into Easter. Today is Palm Sunday. Wanted to do something special for Palm Sunday. I asked Lachlan to bring palm fronds. Um, did you bring them, Lachlan? No? They're okay. Now, the best we could find was gum leaves. So um, <laughs> thought that might not be as inspiring. But Palm Sunday, the Sunday before Easter Sunday, uh, what a day. What a day to be in the house of God. You know, uh, we're in a series. I started it last week and it's called At the Cross. And last week, we looked at uncommon love that was found at the cross. We talked about the agape love of God. And today I want to carry on with that, with that theme and, and with this series at the cross. And we're going to open our Bibles in just a moment in Luke chapter 19. But you know, one of the things is Easter is such a fun time. It's a, it's a family time. It's, we all come together and we have family lunch. We have family dinner. Um, we, we get together and do Easter egg hunts and um, you know, there's Easter Bunny floating around somewhere, which I still haven't managed to catch, but look out for him, uh, the Easter Bunny, if he visits your house. Um, you know, it's a fun time, but the reality of Easter is actually rooted and grounded in the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it's one of our foundational uh, 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 events and celebrations within our church, within the Christian faith. This is what it's built on. You know, everything is built on the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus. And we get to Palm Sunday and Palm Sunday is that triumphal entry into Jerusalem. You know, Jesus has just raised Lazarus from the dead. Um, you know the story, Jesus wept and, and then went and raised Lazarus from the dead. And then He comes to Jerusalem and everyone's freaking out. They've just heard that Jesus has raised a guy from the dead. Lazarus himself is going around and telling everyone, hey, guess what? I was dead for like four or five days and Jesus came and He raised me from the dead. And so everyone's coming and they're coming out to see Him and Jerusalem is, is swollen with people. It's, it's got people coming from all over that area to come in and be a part of the Passover festival and, and, uh, and there's some would say a million people and, and they're all coming out and they're all, as Jesus enters into Jerusalem on the donkey, they're all waving their palm fronds and they're saying, glory to Jesus, <clears throat> glory to God, Hosanna in the highest. You know, it's amazing how quickly that crowd transitioned into crucify Him. How quickly that crowd changed from Hosanna in the highest to crucify Him. You know, Jesus, uh, it says that He was beaten, that He was whipped, that He had the crown of thorns placed on His head and then He carries His cross to the place of His execution. Now history tells us that that journey is about seven or 800 metres from the Antonia Fortress, which was the place of Roman government in Jerusalem, to the place of the skull, or they call it Golgotha. Um, and that would be the place of His execution. And this is where we pick up our Scripture today, starting in Luke chapter 23, verse 32. It says, There were also two other criminals led with him to be put to death. And when they'd come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right hand and one on the left hand. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And then they divided garments and cast lots. And the people stood looking on, but even the rulers with them sneered, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, 
If he is the Christ, the chosen one of God. The soldiers also mocked him, coming and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And an inscription was also written over him in the letters of Greek, Latin and Hebrew, saying, This is the king of the Jews. Then one of the criminals who was hanged blasphemed him and said, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. You see, it's in that moment that this first criminal, he still has such a small view of what he actually needs salvation from. He's seeing it as salvation from that immediate need of hanging on the cross so that he could then go on and live his life as he's always lived it. But it says that the other criminal answered him and said and rebuked him saying, do you not even fear God seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we received the due reward for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. You know, this is one of the most beautiful pictures that we see of the Easter story. We see it in paintings and pictures you know, if you've gone into your grandma's house for, for morning tea one day or lunch, there's always a picture there of this hill with the three crosses on it. And it's a beautiful and it's a peaceful moment. But the reality of that moment, as we know, as we talked about last week, was far from peaceful. It was, it was in a place that was uh, well-trodden. It was close to the city. These men were uh, nailed to the cross through their hands and feet. They were naked. They were beaten. They were whipped. The flesh was torn from Jesus' back. He had a crown of thorns jammed on his head. The Roman Empire used crucifixion not only as a death sentence, but it's a way to completely humiliate and torture the worst of the worst. Criminals are left completely naked and they're left to die, which can take several days as they slowly suffocate. They're left there in the burning sun. You start to go mad, animals and birds start to come and touch you and come and to land on you and it's completely public. People are walking backwards and forwards and there is our Saviour, there is our spotless Lamb, there is Jesus hanging on that cross and this is the death that you and I, uh, it was ours, that was mine. He took my place on that cross. I was the one, you were the one, we were deserving of the death that He took on that cross for us. But Luke, who is the author, he gives us this picture of Jesus and he says Jesus is hanging in the middle and there's a criminal to his left and there's another criminal to his right. But we don't know much about the criminals themselves. We don't really know what they did. Some people would say that they were rebellious. They were, they were rebelling against the Roman rulers at the time and, and, uh, and that was why they deserved to be death. You know, all I know is that it was something that they'd done um, that was bad enough that they needed to be crucified. They needed to be executed. We don't know much about them. We don't know their age. We don't know their hair colour. We don't know their preferred coffee. We don't know anything about them. All we know is that both criminals spoke to Jesus. Both criminals looked at Jesus and spoke to Him, but only one walked away or one 
went to be with Jesus in paradise. You see, these criminals, they're not good people. And I often wonder what it is they might have done to be deserving of such an awful death. But the reality is that we would look at them and go, yeah, they're probably deserving of death. They're, they're bad people. They're not good people like you and me. You know, we think about this thing and we think about it and I call it the goodness scale. And if you say 100 is perfect and then you go back to zero and zero is completely sinful, completely evil, maybe uh, zero is where maybe Hitler is, uh, one of the most evil people in history. Maybe 100 would be where um, Luke and Haley are, (laughs) completely perfect. And we think about ourselves and we think, well, you know, I do some bad things every now and then, but I'm a pretty good person. I wouldn't be Hitler. Uh, you know, I'm not completely evil. I've never overseen genocide, but I'm not perfect. You know, I'm not, I'm not as perfect as maybe uh, Pastor Keith and Pastor Wendy. I'd be an 80 on the goodness scale. Maybe I'd be a solid 65. You know, uh, I'm, I'm good, but I'm not perfect. I don't speed often, you know. <laughs> I don't do drugs. I don't... I don't, I've never done a bank robbery. I've never, um, you know, done anything too awful on the goodness scale. I, I come to church every now and then. You know, for me, I'm at church every Sunday. But then we compare ourselves to those around us and we look and we go, you know what? I'm glad I'm better than Paul Roenfeld. Man, that guy. Maybe I'm better than Alex. Yeah, yeah. We compare ourselves. We look at each other and we think, you know, that person's worse than me. I'm going to be all right. I'm good. I'm a good person. We compare ourselves and we look at which which spectrum they are, which end of the spectrum they are. That's a good person. That's a bad person. You know, I think about um, Joe. She's a she's a great Christian. She prays. She prophesies. She. You want to know anything about Israel? Then maybe she could help you. Or Althea at the back as well. You know. The reality is we compare ourselves about how good we are or how bad we are. And if we thought about where do we fit on the goodness scale, where do you fit on the goodness scale? I'm pretty sure that we would say we're right at the good end of the goodness scale. And we look back at the cross and we look at these two criminals, both having done despicable things, things that were deserving of death. And on the goodness scale, we would say they're definitely at the bottom end of that goodness scale. Both saw Jesus. Both spoke with Jesus. Yet one was saved and one wasn't saved. Jesus only said to one, today you will be with me in paradise. It's at the cross we find a criminal who did absolutely nothing to earn his salvation. Yet in the blink of an eye, He crossed from darkness to light, from death to life. It's at the cross that He found unearned salvation. And it is at the cross that you and I find unearned salvation. This morning I want to look at three considerations when it comes to this Unearned salvation. And the first thing we need to do to consider is do we see 
our need. You see, both criminals saw a need, but only one saw the greater need that was of eternal salvation. You know, I'm a good kid. I was raised in a good Christian family. Uh, My parents are pastors, so uh, that makes me probably a little bit holier than some. Um, I was a good kid and I was raised a good kid. I always believed I was a good kid. And then one day my friend, I was growing up, I would have been 10, my friend Mark, uh, he came to my house and he had another guy, and I can't remember his name, and we're going to call him Ralph for Gina's sake. Um, so Mark and Ralph, they come to my house and they say, we're going to Jim, Phil and Judy's Food Town, which doesn't exist anymore in Sejuna, and we're going to get a chocolate bar. Do you want to come? So we, you know, it's a small town, so we walk down to the main street into Phil and Judy's Food Town. We walk up the chocolate aisle, but Ralph stays at one end of the aisle And then me and Mark walk up to where the chocolates are and Mark says to me, now, Phil, we're going to watch. You need to grab. And I said, what do you mean? And he says, you need to grab the chocolates, put them in your pocket, make sure you get three, and then let's go. And I said, whoa, I'm not doing that. I'm a good kid. I'm a pastor's kid. And then he said, come on, Phil, we're going to do it. Ten-year-old Phil. Bright red hair, probably a little bit sunburnt because I always got sunburnt as a kid. Mark walks up to the other end of the aisle and he's looking at me. So Ralph's at one end, Mark's at the other end. I'm in the middle of the aisle, standing in front of the chocolate bars. This good kid, holy kid, pastor's kid. Mark looks back at me and he's like, just get, grab it. So I just put my hand out, closed my eyes, grabbed whatever I could, put him in my pocket and I bolted out of Phil and Judy's food town. I was a thief. I was a thief. My illusions of holiness were shattered that day. It's amazing the things that you do under peer pressure. The absolute worst part of this entire story is that I grabbed Turkish delight. I don't even like Turkish delight. Would you have had it? Stolen goods? You could have gone to jail, Pastor Wendy. You know, I felt terrible. You know, every time I walked back into Phil and Judy's food town, I knew that they knew I was a thief. They knew, I just knew they were looking at me. Yeah, my phone, no, they never, I never got caught. And then I ended up working there (laughs) as a checkout chick, packing bags, putting groceries through, and I just, I felt so bad the whole time, these pangs of guilt. You know, it's quick to know that I wasn't perfect, I wasn't holy, I think... There are a few people out there that would say that you're not perfect either, you know. Uh, we all have a story. I mean, that's a, a silly story, but we've all got stories of where we've done something we later regret. Maybe it was when you were a 10-year-old kid or maybe it was last night or maybe it was last week. We all do things that are silly. Not one of us is perfect. If you are perfect, you're lying to yourself. All of us have done something that we later regret Maybe it was taking something that doesn't belong to you. Maybe it was a lie. Maybe it was watching stuff on the internet that you're not supposed to watch. Maybe it was an inappropriate relationship. Maybe it was fraud. Maybe it was something completely catastrophic to your life. Maybe it's something that has affected you even to this day. The reality is we've all done something that we regret. None of us is perfect. Romans 3 verse 10 says, No one is righteous. No, not one. Not one of us 
is righteous. The reality is I have lied. The reality is I have stolen Turkish delight bars. The reality is I've been drunk. I've been caught speeding and worse. I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. All have sinned and fall short of God's glorious standard. And I'm sure that if you truly reflected on your life, you would know and you would come to the point of realisation like I did that I'm a sinner, that I've fallen short. One of the most common mistakes that we make in our life is that good people go to heaven. You know, we think of it like a math exam. 50% is a pass, so you've got to get 51%. That's how I rode out high school. 51% all the way. C minuses for me. It was good. You know, I got there. I passed year 12 and praise the Lord, I passed Bible college. You go to TAFE, P's get degrees. All you got to do is pass. All you got to do is get to the mark. And we think sometimes that if 51% is my ticket to heaven, all I've got to do is make sure my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds to make sure I'm a good person, not a bad person. And that way I'll make it into heaven. But the reality is, that good people don't go to heaven. It doesn't matter what number you are on the goodness scale. It doesn't matter how many good deeds you've done versus bad deeds. The criminal that hung on the cross didn't have a chance to do anything, yet he was saved in the blink of an eye. It's not about your good works. It's not about how great you are. It's not about what you've done. It's about what Jesus has done for you. It is His death, burial and resurrection that leads us to the point of salvation. I remember one night I was dating Sarah and uh, we dated longer than one night. It was just one night of our dating period. And I'm driving home up Glenburn Road because Sarah lived in Burnside. And uh, (laughs) Glenburn Road, they just installed a speed camera and a red light camera all rolled into one. And so I sped up to go through the orange light. The light went red and I got a red light ticket and a speeding ticket. Praise the Lord. And I'm still paying that off 30 years later. (laughs) You know, it doesn't matter that I only sped for 20 seconds. It doesn't matter that there was no one around. It doesn't matter that it was only five kilometres over the limit. I broke the law and I deserved the punishment that I got. I deserved that red light camera. And guess what? I didn't get caught speeding again. Didn't get caught speeding again. (laughs) It's easy to point to the criminals either side of Jesus, these people that had done such terrible things, such despicable things that they deserve to be crucified and to die for their actions. We say, I'm not a criminal. I haven't broken all of the Ten Commandments. I haven't done anything bad like that. I only sped for 20 seconds. It only happened once. I only thought about it once. I only acted on it once. But the reality is we are all sinners and we all need to see that we need to be saved. One of the things I love about the thief on the cross is that it, doesn't, it means it's not too late for anyone. One sentence and that sinner was saved. Even at the point of his death when he was, when he was moments away from death, I think that we're going to be completely surprised who we see in heaven. Some of the best Christians that we know, 
the best people that do the best things. They, they, they do everything for everyone. They're really, really good people. But the reality is good people don't go to heaven. Yes. Saved people go to heaven. Right. It's not about how good you are. It's about your faith in Jesus Christ. Yes. Yes. That thief on the cross, he didn't have time to go to a Bible study. He didn't have time to do an Alpha course. That thief on the cross didn't have time to commit to tithing or to, or to serve in the church or to have an opportunity to be baptised in water or baptised in the Holy Spirit. In the blink of an eye, that thief, he joined Jesus in paradise, crossed over. You see, God is clear in James chapter 2, verse 10, for the person who keeps all of the laws except one is as guilty as the person who has broken all of God's laws. You may be a good person, but we're all guilty. Even though he was himself moments from his death, that thief said, aren't you the Messiah? The, the one thief said, aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself, save us. But the second thief looked deep into his soul and saw his need of eternal salvation. He looked beyond his immediate pain, his immediate needs. And he says, remember me, Father, remember me. For us today, we need to look past our immediate need. We need to look past our good acts, our goodness, the great people that we are, how amazing we are, the great share portfolio we have, all of the great works that we've done and the great things that we, we've earned. We need to stop and we need to recognise that we're not perfect. And as the second thief did, recognise our deep need for salvation. Because the truth is good people don't go to heaven. Saved people go to heaven. Three considerations when it comes to this unearned salvation. First, do we see our need? Secondly, we need to receive grace. It's interesting to see what Jesus doesn't say to that second thief on the cross. He doesn't say, why should I remember you? What have you done for me? How many church services have you been to? Are you tithing every week? Have you been able to serve in your local church? Do you go to your Bible study? How often do you pray? Jesus doesn't say any of that. Jesus doesn't place guilt. He doesn't place shame on them. And instead at Jesus' weakest point, at the moment where He could be uh, entitled and, and forgiven for being completely selfish, because pain makes people really selfish. I said it last week, have you ever stubbed your toe and then someone comes up and tries to talk to you? They talk to me. The pain in my little toe is too much. <laughs> Just me. Anyone else stub their toe? Come on. Pray for me. Jesus in this point, in his weakest moment, when he could have been forgiven for thinking about himself over everyone else, he stops and he says to this thief, truly I tell you today you will be with me in paradise. That thief didn't bow his head and close his eyes. He didn't say the sinner's prayer. He didn't have an opportunity to walk out his faith. He didn't have an opportunity to come to a beautiful place in a building like this. He didn't have uh, the opportunity to, to give to charity or to do all of the good things. He didn't have an opportunity to do anything. But all he did was place his faith in Jesus. And at the point that he placed his faith in Jesus, he received the grace of God. He didn't do anything to earn that grace of God. He didn't do anything to earn his salvation. The thing is, and the truth is, you don't need to do anything to earn your salvation. You don't have to come to church to earn your salvation. 
I appreciate it that you do come to church and it's a pivotal part of your Christian walk. You don't have to follow a 10-step program. You don't have to assign your life away. You don't have to do anything except place your faith in Jesus. If you had to do anything to earn your salvation, it wouldn't be grace. The unmerited, unearned, undeserved favour of God that you have sinned and you have fallen short of the glory of God and you are deserving of the death and the punishment that Jesus bore on the cross, but instead He took our place. He took our place, He took the death, He took the whippings, He took the cursing, He took everything upon that cross. Ephesians 2 verse 8 says that you have been saved by His grace when you believed and you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done so none of us can boast about it. It's by faith you've been saved. Through faith. By grace, through faith. That not of works. So no one can boast. No one can say I earned my salvation. No one can say I bought my salvation. No one can say I'm a better person than you so I'm on my way to heaven. It's only purely by the grace of God. Yeah, come on, why don't we give God a hand? The truth is you have to work for everything in life. If you want a promotion in your job, you've got to work for it. If you want a great family, you want a good relationship with your husband or wife, you've got to work at it. You've got to work at keeping your house clean. Anyone with kids knows what I'm talking about. Or a husband, because I enjoy making my house dirty. You've got to work at everything in life, but you don't need to work for your salvation. Your salvation isn't based on your works. It's not based on the great things that you've done. It's a gift of God. It's the grace of God that means that we're able to be saved. Romans 5 verse 8, Paul says to the church in Rome, that God showed His great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. He wasn't waiting for you to get to a certain point on the goodness scale. He wasn't waiting for you to do enough good things or to earn His favour or to earn your salvation. In fact, it says that while you are still sinners, He sent His Son to die for us. Not a harsh or cruel God, but a loving Father who did everything just to have a relationship with you and a Son that volunteered to die in our place. One of the misconceptions we have is that that God is sending us to hell. But the reality is God doesn't send anyone to hell. And the opposite is true. He did everything He could to save us. He did everything He could and He gave His best. He gave His one and only Son to die upon that cross so that we could be saved and join with Him in paradise. Three considerations when it comes to this unearned salvation. First, do we see our need? Second, We receive grace. And lastly, we need to extend grace. One of the things that's popular at the moment is cancel. We love to cancel people. We love to cancel, you know, uh, pop stars, politicians. Um, We we love to cancel anyone who goes against the flow or the culture of this day. And what we mean by cancel is it comes back to when a TV show was really bad and it was awful and then it got cancelled. And then you never saw from it, saw it or heard from it again. One of the great 
tragedies of our culture at this time is that we love to cancel people. We see it in media. We see it that people lose their jobs, they lose their employment. You know, we see people that have lost everything because they've been cancelled. I thank God that we don't have a God that cancels us, but instead He extends grace and He extends forgiveness. And one of the greatest things that has been placed on us once we have been saved is to be able to extend that grace and forgiveness to those that are around us. You know, we are so good at cancelling people and cutting them out of our lives and they've hurt us and, and they've done something to offend us and maybe they weren't reliable or maybe they let us down and we think this is it, they're done. We're cutting them off like a dead limb. We're cutting them off and putting them to one side. They can never hurt me again. They can never come near me again. I'm going to punish them. I'm going to cancel them. But Jesus, He offers grace to us and all He asks us to do is to offer grace in return. Grace says that when there is repentance, there should be redemption. We are all sinners and God took that punishment so that we can be saved. I'm going to read a passage of Scripture where Jesus, in the book of Matthew, chapter 18, verse 21, and Luke, if you could join me, band, that would be fantastic. Then Peter came to Jesus and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but 70 times seven, which is a number that is, too great to even count in the way that that numerology works. So Jesus said, Therefore, Jesus is telling us a parable, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he'd begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and that payment be made. The servant therefore fell down before him saying, Master, have patience with me and I will pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him and forgave him of the debt. You know, we have a debt that we can't pay. We owe so much. It's just, it's so great that we can't even begin to repay the debt that we owe to God. Our sin is like a debt. We have God who is holy and perfect. And He says to us, the sin that we've done, the imperfections, the impurity, they are the things that separate us and there's no way that you can repay it. There's no way that you can bridge that gap between yourself and me. But He sent His Son, Jesus, to come and to pay that debt on our behalf, to take our sin, to take our shame, to take what we owed and to carry it with Him to the cross. And our slate is wiped clean. It's as if we've never sinned before. It's as if we've been born again. God gives us a new start. He gives us a new beginning. He gives us a new way of living. He allows us to walk in salvation and in freedom. And praise God for His grace. But that servant, it goes on to say, went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me and I'll pay you all. And he would not, but he went and threw him in prison till he should pay the debt. 
So when his fellow servants heard what he had done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt that you begged me. Should you not have also had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. So my heavenly Father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. The cost of salvation is free to us. The debt has been paid. And all Jesus asks us to do is to extend that hand of grace and that hand of forgiveness. It doesn't mean that you have to bring people close that have hurt you. It doesn't mean that you need to allow people into your life that have maybe uh, wronged you or done something to you that, 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 is, that is inexcusable. But it does mean that there's a requirement on that requir- requirement, tough word, on us to offer grace to them, to offer forgiveness, to offer them the chance of repentance. God chose to take that, that weight and that debt that we didn't know I thank God every day. I thank God for the day of my salvation. I remember it clearly the day that I gave my heart to God, all my sins were forgiven. I walked in freedom. I could feel a physical burden lifted off of me. And I'm sure so many of us, we know that free that, that freeing feeling. We know that freedom that is found in Christ. And all Jesus asks us to do is to offer forgiveness. In fact, Jesus says when He teaches us to pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be Your name. Your kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Why don't you stand with me today as we come to a close. This morning, we walk in unmerited, unearned, undeserved freedom and grace. It's the grace of God. And today, maybe you've walked into this place and maybe you haven't experienced that grace. Maybe you aren't in a relationship with God. Maybe you would say to me, yes, I am a sinner that needs to be saved. And today is your day. Don't let another day go by without receiving grace. With every head bowed and every eye closed, today I want to pray for you. I'm not going to ask you to do anything weird. I just want to pray for you so that you can join us in the Kingdom of Heaven. If that's you today, you would say, I'm a sinner that needs to be saved. I'm not with God. Maybe you once walked with Him, but you've walked away. Today is the day to come home. With every head bowed and every eye closed to give people privacy, if that's you today, would you do me a favour so I know who to pray for? Just lift your hand up high. If that's you today, won't you lift your hand no one looking around. You say to me, I'm a sinner that needs a Saviour. Today is your day. Oh, Holy Spirit, I thank You for Your grace. I thank You for Your favour. I thank You, Lord God, that I was a sinner and You saved me. I thank You that You pulled me out of that miry clay, that You set my feet on the rock. I thank You for Your salvation. 
I thank You for every person in here, Lord God. I thank You for Your salvation. I pray, Lord God, that we wouldn't forget the work that You did on the cross and that unearned salvation. We're going to worship this morning. We're going to worship and lift our hands to Jesus because He is holy. He is holy and worthy of our praise. He's worthy of all honour. He's worthy of all glory. Luke, why don't you lead us in worship this morning?